Hello and welcome once again to episode 102 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So most of us are seasoned iOS developers, are rich in salt and angst. Uh, but <laughs> what's the best way for us to use our knowledge uh, than to break into Mac development, right? Uh, so first, so why would we want to even consider breaking into Mac development? Spencer, what what reasons would you say are important to you? Yeah, I think, well, as someone that is like deeply in the Apple ecosystem, I'm not only using my phone, but I'm also using my Mac all the time. So if there is some utility that I have to reach for my phone uh, to use, it could probably just be on the Mac and you could share a very probably significant portion of that code. And that's just, you know, like kind of on, on small apps, but, um, that goes for, you know, a, a company's app as well. Um, like Jira, for example, I'll take as, as my current example, where I have their iOS app and it works great. And they have slash had a Mac app that was just like a, um, uh, you know, like an, a built for iPad, uh, app, not necessarily catalyst, but like an, an Apple Silicon uh, app, and it was great. And it, they just decided to stop supporting it. And for now, it's still working. Luckily, uh, there were a couple of days that it didn't. But um, it's much more convenient for me to use it on my Mac than have to pick up my phone and you know get my hands off the keyboard. So, in that sense, I think uh, there are quite a few apps that I have now that I um, were on Apple Silicon that I was able to go to the App Store and just get the iPad or iPhone version and just run them on my Mac just because it's more convenient. I think convenience is a huge thing. Um, or it could just be, you know, your Mac is more powerful than your iPhone. So if you need to do something that's uh, intensive, you know, uh, resource intensive, then it could probably be done better or faster on the Mac. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's, it's the, it's the platform we use probably more than iOS devices, right? Like, sure, we have our phone yep. everywhere, but when we want to do something, what do we reach for is oftentimes the Mac to go ahead and get whether it's work done or whether to just do something in a more comfortable environment that is perhaps less limiting or allows you to do more things at once um, to kind of chain them together. And I think what most people don't realize is that the Mac is still a profitable like system to build apps mm. for. Um, unlike for iOS, where you just kind of get lost in the void of the App Store, right? Um, as an indie developer, you don't have many options available unless you get lucky and you get featured, you get featured again continuously, um, whether this is by like third-party sites or Apple themselves. It's a lot harder to market yourself as an iOS developer, like market your products as an, as an iOS developer, than it is to market your products as a Mac developer. One, because... Uh, the platform is much smaller, um, which means that there is less competition for quality apps, uh, frankly. Um, and the people that use the Mac are such big fans of it. It's not just like the everyday folk. It's, it's people that have chosen to use the Mac versus like a Windows computer. Uh, and therefore, they're a lot more supportive of like good quality apps that are out there. Um, and therefore more willing to pay to support developers to continue building uh, better quality apps. So uh, if you are looking into 
and like being successful as an indie developer. I'm not saying you have to be a Mac developer, but most successful indie developers are Mac developers. Um, so that's that's one like giant thing to consider uh, when you are like considering which platforms to go to next. Um, like, sure, you can you can go and do something completely tangential, jump into web development or whatnot. Uh, but because the Mac development platform is so similar to iOS development, in fact, it's like where iOS development offshooted from, um, it is pretty easy to get your uh, toes wet, especially if you've been using the platform for a long time and you know about like what makes a Mac app a Mac app, right? Um, and you are comfortable with the paradigms that are there, then like all the tools are there for you to build uh, a powerful Mac app. But you're just, just waiting for you to like tap into them, right? Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's really like, I guess I would compare it to like learning a new framework rather than learning a new language in in kind of the sense of the amount of work that you would have cut out for you in order to um, bring an iOS app to the Mac or just write a a completely new app on the Mac. Um, I mean, you're still using Foundation. You're still, you you know, you can use, uh, well, you can't, well... We can get into that. You can kind of use UIKit, but, uh, you know, you, all of the sort of base uh, frameworks that you're using, um, UI frameworks kind of excluded, um, are are there for you and you already know how to use them. So it's a thing. It's, a, you know, if you're going to be using storyboards, storyboards are a little bit different. There are, you know, things that you need to think about, like uh, not just the view controller kind of taking up generally the entire screen, but now you've got like multiple windows that you could do. And you sort of, you have to expand a little bit of what you know, but a lot of the, uh, the base knowledge that you already have is very much applicable to the Mac. Um, And like Dimitri said, the, the cool part about um, building a Mac app is uh, people the developers generally will will make it of high quality and the users expect it to be high quality but along with that you can also charge more money where there's sort of this um thinking along you know with with ios apps it's like if it's over five dollars unless it's doing something crazy no one's gonna buy it probably in generally um but for a mac app it it's different somehow and i'll easily spend 30 40 dollars on a Mac app if it, you know, does what it needs to do. And mm-hmm. I don't know, there's just like this different uh, mindset as far as the price goes, at it's least bigger, for me. right? <laughs> yeah, I've I've spent a ton, like, I, I'm not sure if I could buy like an entire Mac, like an entire like MacBook Pro off of the amount of money I've spent on Mac apps, but I've spent a lot of money on Mac software because it makes my experience better and it's useful, so... Back back in the day, there was a there was a Mac app that uh, sat in your menu bar, um, and it tallied up how much money you spent on iTunes on apps, um, and that oh. was a very scary <laughs> m- number when I first installed it. It was definitely into the into the several hundreds, um, and that was before Ooh. I even like kept an eye on it. But that was like uh, interesting. I, I spent a lot of money on the iOS app store by that point <laughs> that I installed that. Uh, but like you said, $20 is cheap when it comes to like Mac software. Um, and that's just the mentality that Mac users are comfortable with, right? Um, that doesn't mean that you can get away with like really, really simple software for $20. No, but if you have right. a fully featured app, 
you don't need to be afraid of charging $20. That's the difference. Whereas on iOS, you might be afraid of charging $5 for that. Um, whereas on the Mac, you don't need to. So uh, the ceiling is much higher uh, with regard to like what people are comfortable paying for, um, which means that you don't necessarily need to think about subscription pricing. You don't need to think about like complex ways of, of getting money out of your users. You can just set a price that feels comfortable um, and charge for it. And if you're not distributing on the Mac apps or if you're distributing on your own, you don't need to think about Apple's cut. You just take care of those parts yourself. And when you have version two, you just charge for version two separately. Um, you can give your version one customers a discount or you don't have to. Like that's completely up to you. Or you can give them to give the new version to them for free. Like there's all sorts of uh, ways that you can market the app differently than on iOS that um, is a lot more like open to your own business model than it is on iOS where you're pretty much forced to work via the iOS app store. Uh, and that's not to say you can't take advantage of the Mac app store. I mean, it's basically a ghost town. So if anyone opens it and you happen to be number one, then everyone sees your app. <laughs> so um, like, I don't know what what worth that has um, because pretty much it seems like you can get to the number one spot with very few downloads. And I mean, like single digit um, for a lot of the categories. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah. it remains to be seen if, if that is like, being number one there does uh help a lot um but you do have definitely more opportunities available to you um and i think that gives you a lot of chances to succeed right because at the end of the day like we talk about luck and like being at the right place at the right time the more you try the more chances of success you'll have um and the mac definitely has more out the gate than ios does yeah it's definitely a numbers game. And I was just looking up, um, like, Affinity Designer is, uh, like, any of the Affinity apps are really, really good apps, both on the Mac and on iOS and on iPadOS. On iOS, it's $20, which, okay, it's a little expensive in comparison to what is also already there for iOS. But it's also, like, basically, you know, Illustrator. So mm-hmm. there's that, too. But on the Mac, it's $55. So probably similar feature set. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anything that, you know, the iPad version can't do, but um, I've used both and, or I've used Affinity Photo a lot on, bo- on both platforms and they seem, seem to have similar feature parity, um, but one costs over double than the other. So just for mm-hmm. platform. So there's that. Yep. The, it's a different market at the end of the day. Yep. Um, and I wanted to add one last note to what you said about like the frameworks being uh, pretty much the same. Like anything other than UIKit is pretty much available to you. And yeah. there's a giant asterisk here with like HomeKit is not available to you for whatever reason. Um, and then there are like a few more that like nearby interaction is not because there's no U1 chips, uh, things like that. Um, but SwiftUI, like that's available with some asterisks mm-hmm. we'll get into um the foundation is available swift is available like everything that you've kind of gotten used to is available av foundation if you want to do more advanced things um core animation is basically the same um actually more powerful on the mac as we'll also perhaps get into uh so lots of opportunity to reuse your knowledge um and taken with the fact that ui kit is basically 
a v2 of AppKit, which is the Mac version of a UI uh, framework. Um, it's going to be very similar and very, um, what's the word? Uh, it's going to be very, uh, yeah, it's not coming to me. Um, but y- you'll, you'll, you'll be able to jump into it more quickly than you'd think, uh, despite yeah. it being very different. So let's get into the first version of that. Uh, and yes. that is Catalyst, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. Catalyst is the infamous, oh, it's just a checkbox, uh, that you just have to check. And then your iPad app, um, I think it has to be an iPad app, right? If, if you start with an iOS, so. like an iPhone app, and then you like check the box, uh, then you have a lot of work ahead of you. But, uh, if you're starting from an iPad app, then, uh, this work is like much more reasonable. Um, but it's not for free, right? Yeah, Catalyst is really interesting because, yeah, it is. I mean, to make it run on your Mac, yeah, it's a checkbox. Um, but, I mean, it's like if you've ever, I mean, it looks like you're pulling up a simulator, right? It's just like it is what it is. It's a single window. And uh, it'll try to, I guess, change things like uh, navigation, uh, I guess, paradigms into something that feels more Mac-like, but it doesn't feel native, for sure. Uh, There is the checkbox, and then there's, let's make this iOS app feel like an actual Mac app, and there's a a fair amount of work that would be required to do that, not to say that it's hard, and just by turning on that checkbox, you have a good base of all of the non-UI code is the same, and so you don't have to rewrite that. It's just, I think the thing with Catalyst is, like we've talked about, the Mac app. Mac apps are, I suppose, of a high quality generally. Like there's kind of this um, expectation that the Mac apps are going to feel of high quality because you're probably paying more for them. Um, and it, I think, would be really easy for a developer to say, ah, I'm going to charge more money and I'm going to check this checkbox and that's it uh, leading to a poor user experience. I mean, it would be functional probably for the most part, but, um, your pro, unless you, you know, have, of, I don't know on an iPad, you now have things like pointer interactions and, and, you know, there's that and it tries to translate that over fairly well, but, there's a again, I don't know. I'm kind of repeating myself here. There's a fair amount that you would have to do to make it feel like a Mac app. Like for example, um, if you uh, I don't know had some custom I don't know like a color picker or something in your app, and it would just kind of show up in the window. Well, you could actually now that you're in Catalyst, uh, you could import AppKit and import the I, I forget what it's color called but like the ns color panel or whatever it is uh that's just a separate window that's like native to all mac apps and it feels like a mac app because every other app uses it so there are things that you can kind of do and you can now have multi-window support so you could maybe break up some of your ui into multiple windows if you needed to uh depending on the complexity uh, there's i guess just things that you haven't been able to do thus haven't considered uh, in iOS that really those considerations make a huge difference um, in a Mac app. Like I think my favorite example is uh, freaking Slack with its single window and not being able to open multiple windows. Like it's an Electron app. I know that, but like it's a Mac app now. So like, you know, make it 
have multiple windows. Electron is because no that excuse. Makes sense. <laughs> I, no, I know. Is I, no I, I agree. Because I, I use other Electron apps that just support multiple windows. It doesn't do it well. Yep. Like, you can't drag things between windows because drag and drop is, like, completely within that window boundary. Uh, and that's that. Um, but if you, like, need to reference something, make a new window, put it to side, and now you have two things. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you'd think that for a chat app with, like, thousands of days of history that that would be something useful to have um but not not yet apparently (laughs) yeah yeah so uh for catalysts you have two different idioms right like you can have the straight out of the box checkbox experience which is basically put an ipad window on your screen and then just imagine that there's an ipad boundary around it because it behaves Mm -hmm. exactly like the ipad and then there's the optimized for mac uh like option as well and that's the one that's going to do a lot of really interesting things one it doesn't scale down your ui because if you ever take in like a one-to-one pixel uh ipad app and put it on your mac you're going to realize that those bars are really tall and big and finger sized um and not at all mouse size so everything's going to get shrunk by 0.75 uh like a factor 0.75 right um with the with the like normal ipad version but if for optimized for mac you don't get that display scaling um and you do get buttons and controls that feel like mac buttons and controls by default so if you use ui button you're gonna get a bezeled button uh that has like click states and everything um and that's gonna work a lot better but now your app is gonna be in this kind of frankensteinian state where anything out of the box ui kit is gonna look okay but then anything custom that you wrote is going to be like very large and tap sized uh so you are definitely going to need to adapt a lot of your ui for these two different cases right for the 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 ui kit on ipad case and then the ui kit on mac case so that's something that you're not going to be able to escape for free but you do have all the same frameworks that you're used to um, and you're just messing around with UI views at this point and constraints and stuff. So uh, everything that you know how to do, you can go and use to um, facilitate a different UI um, for the Mac that is more appropriate, right? Yeah, I think we're kind of, or at least <laughs> from from my perspective, I feel like I'm like all doom and glooming this, this idea of turning your iOS app into a Mac app. But really, um, like... I guess I want to just like make sure I nail home that we're saving a ton of time because ultimately all of the code that's running in the background, it's done. I mean, there's yeah. probably very little that you'll have to adapt. Um, uh, it's just UI. So like carve out, you know, a bunch of time for you to run through the UI uh, problems, uh, I guess not problems, but just like they're not a one-to-one comparison with what a normal Mac app would be. Like look at the HIG, see, you know, if you've never, there's, um, things are just different, right? Like, like Dimitri said, you're going to have these giant buttons. You have a mouse with very precise input, uh, interactions. So your buttons don't need to be that large. Um, I I mean, Mac OS has kind of gone a little bit larger, but in general, buttons are smaller and that kind of thing. So, uh, looking at, you know, maybe when it does convert those over, it's been a while since I, I tried this, so I I can't quite remember the exact kind of outcomes, but like, say you had, uh, 
a view with a bunch of sliders in it. Those sliders may have a lot more space in them or the buttons may have a lot more space in them on the Mac app because they were, you know, this much larger. So constraints might be, need to be changed or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but definitely like the biggest challenge, I suppose, would be the UI stuff, learning about, okay, now, you know, we don't have just view controllers, but we have windows and we have these, uh, you know, you're kind of expanding what you're sort of used to, but it's not hard. Um, And something that I did way before Catalyst was just like, I made a super simple Mac app just to see what the difference was. And I was a little overwhelmed by the look of the, of the storyboard. Cause that's all we had at the time. Storyboards look different and there were, it just, there were, I can't quite remember. It's been a hot minute, like windows and I think window controllers, maybe, um, there, there was just more on the storyboard that I wasn't used to. And so, you know, it took a little research table views are different cause you're dealing with columns as well. You have these NF cells, you have these couple different ways of making cells on a table view. So there's like a learning curve, but ultimately it's not like getting thrown into, Hey, go learn JavaScript and, you know, uh, react native or react or whatever. So mm-hmm. there's that. It's, it's definitely a lot easier than jumping from UI kit to Swift UI by comparison, right? Uh, UI kit to app kit is basically like a distant cousin that is basically the same as you. Um, right. but is more or less familiar. Like they do things differently and you're like, oh, they, they use a U, uh, in their color word and we don't use a U or they use a E for gray and we use an A. Uh, it's kind of those kind of differences, not like, yeah. uh, a completely different word that you're now have to like learn. Um, it's like different pronunciations of things. Um, and yeah. that's yeah. that's basically what you're dealing with. Like instead of UI color, there's NS color, and yeah, it's mostly the same. But then you have to like, oh, like, do I want the calibrated red, white, green, and blue, or do I want the the device red, green, and blue? And then that's yeah. basically a difference. Um, so yeah, as you said, like it's this is something that you can do piecemeal. Like you don't have to go all in all at once. Yeah. If your users need a Mac app, you can check the checkbox and deliver a Mac app relatively quickly. Uh, and then screen by screen, make improvements and ship those, right? You can have this be a universal purchase. So like people aren't even paying extra for the Mac app. This is just a pure bonus that you're giving them. Um, and then you don't need to like go all in on making that a, a big heavy lift for yourself. Uh, so that is something that you should always keep in mind. It's not something that you need to uh, put an immense amount of work into that's what Catalyst is for. It's to support the smaller developers who don't have a dedicated team to write a Mac app, right? You just have yeah. the team that you have, and that app needs to get written in some way, and this is the way to do it. Yeah, like something that comes to my mind as an example is like, um, you know, I, I don't know how to word this. Like maybe you're thinking like, okay, well, I uh, import files from the files app. Like how does... Um, how does the Catalyst app handle that? Well, it just opens a finder, open, like an it would be called an NS open panel, uh, but it, it just uses like the UI document picker controller interaction. So you don't like need to rewrite that, although you could in AppKit and use like the NS open panel or NS save panels. Like there's options and that's the cool part is like Dimitri said, it, it's very piecemeal what you can do. And um, I don't know. Yeah, I think the idea of universal purchases is very cool. And that's what we do on... Um, 
on, on my day jobs app, LumiFusion, it's you buy it on the iPad or the Mac and you have it in the other place and it's just done. Um, the Mac app isn't awesome. Like it's, it's not even a catalyst app. It's actually just like the, you know, Apple Silicon run this on the Mac type of thing. So we're not actually using, uh, any catalyst stuff. Like I think maybe eventually we'll get there, but right now we're not. So, um, but anyway, the, the universal purchase is great because now you're kind of catering to two ish, one and a half audiences, I guess. Um, and if for that version one that you're just trying to get out, there's not really any extra work that you need to do. I'd maybe run through the app to see if there are some weird things going on. I think if I remember right, kind of when catalyst came out and this running on running your on Apple Silicon specifically as well, there were a couple things that we needed to change, like a couple crashes, but like that was very early on and maybe it's, uh, stabilized by now so not sure but yeah that's that's one good point to call out catalyst does allow you to run on intel machines as well it's not limited to apple Mm -hmm. silicon like uh the run the ipad app on the mac option is which you basically do nothing you ship your app to the ios app store and you just check a checkbox in app store connect that says hey mac apps can uh mac users can go ahead and download this as well um, though I think you have to uncheck it, right? If you don't want Mac users to to use it, um, which is like so. the, the weird like move as a developer. Out. Yeah, like don't opt yeah. out unless it's like severely broken and you're going to like lose mm-hmm. user data. Like let people, like they know it comes with a warning message basically when they download it. Um, but if you want to make that better, then you can ship the Catalyst version, which is a separate build. Like you have, uh, you use ifdefs basically to switch between uh, different cases for the Mac versus um, iOS. And if you want to use AppKit code, then like it's not directly available within like your main app, but yeah. you can ship a, what's called a plugin, um, which on the Mac is basically another bundle with code attached to it that gets loaded up with your main app. Um, and that plugin can have AppKit code, um, but cannot have UIKit code. So uh, it's a little weird. Um, how you have to architect it but once you have the base set up then it's not uh very difficult to work around because you're working within the same memory space at that point so uh you were able to access anything that's available natively on the mac uh to patch anything that is not working the way you want it in your ui kit code um which is just being hosted by a like a subclass of ns window it's not it's not super fancy uh at the end of the day so uh, this leads us into like why not use SwiftUI, and SwiftUI is a great option, but there's a few caveats uh, with it, right? So SwiftUI is available to you if you use a native AppKit Mac app, or if you use a uh, converted Swift um, UIKit Catalyst app. Um, so SwiftUI in both of those environments are going to be very different. So uh, do keep that in mind that if you're using SwiftUI from UIKit, it's going to behave exactly like it does in uh, in iOS. Um, so I think it may still translate some controls and stuff like that. But you're not going to have Mac-specific um, like views that are part of Mac SwiftUI available to you. It's just strictly going to be the iOS views. Um, so keep that in mind. Now, the second big asterisk is the Mac version of SwiftUI seems to be severely less tested internally at Apple. So you're going to run into things that just maybe don't work the way you expect them to. 
um, and maybe require a little more workarounds. So uh, this goes back to what I suggested at the very beginning of our episodes talking about SwiftUI uh, is that use it for custom like stuff that you're doing, uh, like individual views, like stuff where you're not really making use of stock controls and stuff like that. Um, and fall back to AppKit when it comes down to the big picture navigation stuff. So like split views, uh, things like that. Um, and use SwiftUI as this like subview kind of thing. Um, what's mm-hmm. the benefit there is you have a lot more control when it comes down to like, how am I setting up my split view and how is it working with the toolbar? Um, and all of that is going to be like dead simple to use because AppKit has full control for all of that behavior. Um, whereas SwiftUI seems to have broken behavior <laughs> support for uh, that behavior. So if you're only using SwiftUI in like the content view uh, that your app has and not necessarily the whole split view, then you're going to end up being much happier, I think. Um, so I know this goes in the face of like people saying, oh, I want to use SwiftUI as like my main, th- there's a SwiftUI sure. app and then it's like way simpler from that point forward. Uh, resist doing that for now, um, at least until Apple like gets everything uh, squared away uh, and and makes it something that actually works. Um, but it is something that's available. Yeah, I'd say uh, my my experience with SwiftUI in, on the Mac specifically is like zero. I've not done it, but I can imagine that. I mean, I feel like I on occasion will run into limitations with SwiftUI in iOS, especially with things like navigation. It seems weird to me still. I, I can't even imagine for all the things that uh, the Mac version has to deal with. That said, I haven't used it, so I can't really speak to it. But I also kind of feel like SwiftUI is great on kind of like a view-by-view basis. So there's that. I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of hard for me to tell. I I like SwiftUI, and I see where it's going. I just there's something to be said for AppKit and UIKit having been fleshed out over well over a decade and multiple decades at this point. So uh, I think we'll get there. But for, yeah, I wouldn't make like a, a Swift UI app project, right? I'd just deal with AppKit or, or UIKit and then kind of insert it where I need to. So that leads us to AppKit, which is the big the big uh, UI framework that started them all. Um, and uh, AppKit is both similar, but also very different than UIKit. Um, and it's important to recognize where it is like the same and where it is very different. So AppKit started off from a place where GPUs were not a thing. Um, and the CPU would render the entire like UI. Uh, so that's where it has a lot of legacy kind of ideals in place. Um, and when AppKit or when uh, Core Animation came out, basically, um, AppKit basically got support for Core Animation in a view, um, much like SwiftUI, you started off in a view. Um, and then you can go from there. Um, and over the years, uh, core animation has kind of taken over more and more of AppKit, but not in a one-to-one way that UIKit ha- developers are very used to. So, uh, for instance, in UIKit, every view has a layer, and that's just a rule that you are comfortable with. Like, you know that every view is going to have a background color because every view has a layer that has a background color. Um, and you know that you can add corner radii to any view because... 
Every view has a layer that has corner radii that you can add, um, and so on and so forth. AppKit is not the same. So AppKit makes no guarantees that every view actually has a layer, um, and it will, under certain circumstances, optimize your views such that multiple views can be drawn in the same layout paths onto the same underlying super view layer. Um, and what this means is that things are a bit more optimal when you have thousands of views on screen, um, which AppKit is very used to. If you have like a table view with columns, now you have an yeah. end, end by end structure that is uh, full of views um, that can be very expensive on UIKit, but is very fast and fluid even on a machine with no GPU. Um, so uh, to do this, uh, AppKit had a concept of a cell, and a cell was basically just a class that had drawing commands, um, and it would draw into the views buffer. This has since been deprecated, but is still around, so you do need to know about it. Uh, yeah. Every control has a cell, uh, whether you like it or not, and the cell is the thing that does the actual drawing. Um, so be careful when subclassing controls. Uh, the drawing behavior that you want is probably not going to be where you expect it to. So if you have something custom in mind, just start from the custom place. Don't subclass uh, NS button and hope for the best um, because you're setting up you're setting yourself up for a lot of research that is not well documented on Stack Overflow uh, because a lot of developers have not been spending their time on macOS uh, versus mm-hmm. iOS, for instance. So uh, that's like the one big like thing to consider. Like you can have one layer per view, but it's not always going to be the case. You'll need to tell views when you want them to have layers. Like literally, view dot wants layer equals true. Um, right. Like that's that's the call. Um, and do read up on the App Store App Kit documentation on this because it changes on a year by year basis. And my knowledge is at least a year and a half old. So um, I have not like kept up on like the most recent like things that have changed. But uh, things are getting more similar, but also distinct. Like the same way Swift UI optimizes its own views and doesn't necessarily make its own like UI view for all the views that you create. Um, like AppKit also does something similar, so keep that in mind. View controllers are a lot less like handholdy. You just make a view controller mm-hmm. and attach the view to something, and you're done. You don't have to say this is a child view of this or uh, anything of that sort. Um, they're kind of just like, hey, we decided to just give this view a view controller, and it just has one now. Uh, you don't have to use view controllers for anything. Um, they are encouraged for like basic things, like hey, the constant view controller of a window. You might want to set one, but you don't have to. Like, there's no there's no <laughs> rule enforcing it. So, um, that's that's up to you, uh, basically. Um, and the final thing that I would say is, although I am like a big fan of making programmatic UIs on UIKit, I would not make a programmatic UI on AppKit uh, to save my life. Like, this is a this is a place where UIKit, uh, not UIKit, Interface Builder was built for, right? Interface mm-hmm. Builder was built to make Mac apps primarily, um, and then it kind of got added on for UIKit. Uh, but Mac controls are not these like borderless buttons or anything like that. They are full-on controls with like actual graphics associated with them, uh, and all of a sudden, storyboards look a lot more like a full-on window that you're working with uh, as you drag buttons in and as you start configuring. Uh, constraints and things like that, making sure that your buttons are equal and that they're on the right side of the screen and so on and so forth. So uh, if you want to set up a table view on the Mac, for instance, uh, doing it in 
in, in Trace Builder, it's easy. You just drag in a table view. What you actually dragged in was a scroll view with a table view embedded into it and a whole yeah. bunch of columns that were pre-associated uh, and like column IDs and everything was pre-set up for you. And Interface Builder has all the controls that are easy to find. Now, if you do this programmatically, you're in for like a world of hurt because you need to make a, and a scroll view and then you need to figure out how to associate your table view with it, but not the table view header because that goes outside the scroll view or outside the clip view, um, I should say. It's like much more complicated to do this programmatically, so don't yeah. bother. Um, is the point that I'm trying to make. Um, but like once you're there, you can set up most of a UI in Interface Builder and it would look like your app that you're building. And that's like the really, really neat thing about AppKit is it's literally the kit that you use to make apps. And it's the thing that allows Mac development to be something that's very fast if you're like aiming to get a Hague compliant app out. If you're trying to get like super custom stuff done, it's a lot harder, right? You're gonna you're gonna be running up a, a vertical wall if you want to get a button to look completely different than what you're used to. Uh, unless you're on modern OSs, they like have new like oh you can change the color of these things now. Um, good luck before, yeah. um, but uh, that's where something like SwiftUI can be really really useful because instead of messing around with draw rect in NS views, you can go ahead and just have a fully custom uh, like scene at your disposal um, that uh, actually like deals with events properly, unlike core animation, which gives you the fully custom part without the events part. And then that the events part is up to you. So um, definitely a lot of options when you use AppKit directly. Um, but you're starting from fresh, right? You can't use any of your existing UI code that you had uh, in your iOS app. Um, and you'll need to start, you can use your business logic, of course. Um, but if that business logic has like UI colors, you got to swap out all those UI colors for NS colors, uh, things like that. Yeah. So um, there are multiple ways to do this. You can split up your Xcode project and have like, here's the iOS section, here's the Mac section, here's the shared code, and there's a bunch of if defs in there. Um, or you can have a different Xcode project for that at that point. It's really up to you. Um, and uh, maybe even different people working on each of these if you're a team of multiple. Um, but uh, AppKit is definitely going to give you the most control. Um, it's just going to be more work because you're starting from nothing rather than starting from like an entirely done app if you didn't start anything yet. Or if you already have one, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean... The cool part is like, if you're using a UI text field, it's just called NS text field. Like it's a little bit different in in, in function, but like finding things, it, it, finding documentation for things is like really easy. It's an NS button. It's not a UI button, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> you reminded me, going back to drawing, uh, I remember the first time I tried to draw something on a Mac. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> no one... Yeah, no one told me the origin is not where it normally is, or at least on iOS. So it's not in the top left corner. It's on the bottom left corner because, okay. Okay, um, history so lesson. It's not weird... okay. It's not because uh, okay. okay. So let's let's <laughs> okay, go back okay. a little. Um, everyone, if you've ever done any physics or math, the origin, I hate to say it, is in the bottom left. No, uh, I know. Because I know. And so... this is how math works. And web developers, I guess... We're like math is too hard for me. I'm gonna start at the top right, because, top <laughs> left, because that's like where things go. Um, like I don't know why web development started at the top left, but it did in in the face of math and physics. 
uh, which are like universal at this point. Like we got the right hand rules and stuff. Um, so the Mac was like, hey, we are a platform for scientists. Uh, and we also <laughs> render PDFs and PDFs render the bottom left. Um, and that's the way, that's the way the mathematicians wanted it. Um, and that's the way it's going to be. Uh, that, that said, you, NSView has, is flipped, which will flip things around no, know, if you're dealing I with know. like cases where it's easier to render things at the top, right, top left. I keep saying top right. It's like, no, no one does the top right. Uh, but if it's no, easier to no, do things at the be, top uh, left, like text, yeah, that's easier at the top left. Except all the characters are drawn in the bottom left of the baseline. I don't know. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to like have an aneurysm if I think too much about this. So, uh, yeah. yes, to, as you said, very important. Like, everything's down here starting and then you do your math yeah. this way rather than up here. I don't know what SwiftUI does. I guess we'll find out if... Um, if we go ahead and use it. I think SwiftUI is like, everything starts centered and then, oh, but if you start doing yes. offsets, it's going to go in the other direction. So, yeah. Something to Okay, think so about. iOS is, <laughs> iOS is really the, but okay, then. Mm-hmm. Not, not Mac OS. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. It's, I found it really fun. Like, I'm, I'm kind of going back to the first time that I tried this, I found it really fun and interesting to see how far I could get uh, just with my iOS experience. This was like, let's see, 2007. So I'd been doing this in like for like two years and not really like working in just like basic iOS stuff. I didn't really venture out of like, you know, uh, boot camp level amount of knowledge. Uh, I was just teaching, so I didn't really do anything outside of that. Um, but it, I mean, I, the Mac app is really simple, but also I learned a lot in that time of just going through being weirded out when I did drag in a table view and it gave me a whole bunch of stuff. I was like, holy crap, this is all hidden for me in iOS. What is all of this type of thing? And figuring out, you know, where do I, um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know, like, where do I make outlets? Do I make it on the scroll view? Do I make it on the table view? Do I make it on the column? Like, there were all of these weird things that I had to figure out, but it wasn't hard. And I, like, seriously recommend to anyone that's not done any Mac development uh, to either make a Mac app brand new from scratch or try to, you know, check the checkbox and see um, what you get and go from there. And there have been... um, I'm sure quite a few articles written by now. I know that like Steve Trotton Smith uh, has stuff on Catalyst. Uh, I don't, I haven't looked into it in a hot minute, like maybe a year or two, but there, it's at the point now where if you did want to make a Catalyst app, there are definitely resources that would uh, help you along. You wouldn't be kind of on your own if you wanted to go the Catalyst route, or there are a bunch of uh, resources if you just wanted to, make a brand new uh, Mac app kind of from scratch. So you've definitely got options, and that's, I think, what's cool is um, all of these things that we've talked about, view controllers and window controllers being different, uh, layers being different, um, probably sticking with Interface Builder. Like, they're not hard. They're different, but you could probably figure it out in, like, a weekend for a lot of these things. So, yeah, I don't know. It's... It's exciting to me, I think, just like stuff with, like, Vapor, I think it's cool that 
primarily I'm an iOS developer, but also I have these things kind of um, on the periphery that I've either existed a long time or are fairly new, but I can use 90% of the knowledge that I already have. And it's just like a little bit of kind of uh, sprinkles on the side to get you up and running um, in, in a general sense. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm rambling. Yeah. And if there's a paradigm that you like from like the Mac development side of things that you then learned due to like jumping into it, you can use that on iOS, on Vapor, yeah. uh, wherever you want, right? It's it's all about using the best ideas from everything uh, to like do things effectively. So um, definitely, definitely available to you only if you are willing to learn it, right? Um, I'll say there's one last gotcha and this one like bit me 17 times. So I want to... I want to make everyone aware of it. Uh, NS window controllers do not retain themselves. Like you got to keep a list of those hanging around because oh. you might think, oh, I made my window controller. My window controller makes my window. My window is on screen. Therefore, everything is happy. No, your window is on screen without a window controller because you just did not retain that. Uh, so keep a reference <laughs> to your window controllers. Um, it will help when you need to like figure out why buttons don't do anything anymore. Um, so hmm. yes, that's that's my my tip to uh window controller people um but yeah window controllers they can load from like zibs really easily uh it's all it's all set up for you this week's episode of code completion is brought to you by sticky widgets sticky widgets is the absolute easiest way to put a sticky note on your home screen and edit it quickly it's so easy you never need to open the app itself add a sticky widget to your home screen to the ios home screen editor and tap on it to edit that's about it of course, there's tons of customization options as well. Font, color, text size, alignment, all conveniently located in the system's edit widget interface. Add as many sticky widgets as you like or put them in a smart stack. Sticky widgets are digital sticky notes for your phone. Use them however you'd like. Sticky widgets is a free download on the App Store and additional font and color options are available for a one-time in-app purchase. Thank you so much to Sticky Widgets for sponsoring Code Completion. Check out Sticky Widgets on the iOS App Store today. So... Uh, as is tradition with Mini Review Corner, I have bought another HomeKit accessory. Um, and the reason I bought yes. this one is because I now have a turtle. Uh, and turtles require heat lamps. Uh, but turtles don't want heat lamps being on 24-7 because they like to sleep at night. Uh, and I am a bad human being that forgets things. So I wanted to get a little uh, plug-in switch. Uh, so that way I can turn off the heat lamp when it's sunset and turn on the heat lamp when it's sunrise. Mm. Uh, and then the turtle can just do its thing where it likes to bask in the, the hot heat lamp sun. Um, and like, it, it's very interesting. It's like doing like put folding its arms and just being very comfortable or like outstretching one of its back legs and its opposite front leg and like doing yoga. Uh, it's very interesting nice. watching a turtle. I never, I never like realized it would be this entertaining uh, but uh, we ended up getting a SwitchPot Plug Mini. Uh, and this is like a really tiny uh, mm. like switch. Uh, and there's a version without HomeKit support, and there is a version with HomeKit support. I think this one costed like $10 or $15. Uh, so like much cheaper than anything the App Store will sell you. Uh, the Apple Store will sell you. Um, and the neat thing about this is I didn't need to like download any app. I just opened up the Home app, uh, tapped Add Accessories, scanned the thing, and it was like, as good as new asked me do you want this to look like an outlet or a lamp or a fan because those yeah. are like the typical things that people plug into these things uh and yeah it's just configured in my home app and then you can add the automations 
the regular way uh, through the infamous ad automation picker, which is like overly complicated, but Apple will understand it one day. Um, and yeah, like A plus in that regard. That said, you can get an app for this thing and you can use it to check on power consumption uh, over time, mm. uh, which for whatever reason, HomeKit does not yet support. Um, and yeah, that's all there is to say really about it. It's really neat. It's really tiny and it does its thing well. Nice. Smart. I, I have a few smart outlets. They are awesome. They're so useful. Um, I think that was probably the first, um, like HomeKit uh, device I got. I think when I was in an old apartment, I uh, it didn't have air conditioning, um, so I would sleep with a fan, like a box fan at night. You know those like big ones mm-hmm. that are like you just sit on the floor. Um, yeah. But I didn't want to like go to the foot of my bed every night and and turn the switch on so i just had it on my on my phone and just had it you know turned on all the time but the the switch itself uh would turn on and off so and i have one now on my 3d printer so it just turns on whenever i want to print something i don't have to walk to the other room i'm so it makes you so lazy i've got like um this app called scene cuts which triggers HomeKit scenes with like keyboard shortcuts so i can like turn on and off my lights just with a, a keyboard shortcut like makes you lazy man but it's so nice so yeah but home kit is Spencer, home kit is good consider all the walking around you do when home kit stops working and you need to like reset everything you get a good amount of exercise yeah, in that true. case too it makes, makes up, it up for all the laziness <laughs> yeah <laughs> no for for real that like happens only when i like disconnects my main router and like everything does not automatically reconnect to wi-fi for whatever reason then i'm going around to every room like unplugging the switches replugging in the switches getting them to reconnect um but that is only when things like go horribly wrong with the router when it's the other way around when like there's a power outage my router is on a battery so that stays on um, and then oh. everything else like gets power cycled so then everything is fixed and that that's also another excellent scenario <laughs> Um, nice. so yes, uh, moral of the story is get a, get a battery backup for your router and then you don't need to go and do that as much. That's a good idea. So yeah, as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at code completion to know when new episodes get live and feel free to tweet at us. If there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this. And we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who's at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S P E N C. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter uh, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye.